0: Why does your GP not want to see you? Why can't you get an appointment to see your GP face-to-face? Why is it only telephone assessments for your physiotherapy appointment? I thought physio was supposed to be in person. Well, today we're going to be dissecting all of that. And I have a wonderful guest today who is a London GP and a very, very much person who's been vocal in the attacks that have been occurring against healthcare professionals not wanting to see patients and hiding behind our desks. Uh, well, today's podcast episode is going to be an interesting one. And as always, it's hosted by myself, Farouk Bello, host of the Rook Self podcast. But it's going to be an interesting one because I work and I have seen this firsthand as well. People tell me, oh, my GP is hiding and he doesn't want to see me, that I don't know why they're doing like this. They don't care about me. Well, let, let's hear from the other side as to what's really happening behind the scenes. And let's try and see if we can come to a good compromise. But as always, Welcome to the Rooksell Podcast, and today I bring you Dr. Selva. All right, welcome back to Rooksell Podcast. As always, Taruk here again as your host. Today we have a very Uh, interesting topic. I say all my podcast episodes are interesting, but today's one is very, very, it's very, it hits home, I would say, in the way I work personally and what I've seen both on social media and it's one of those rare cases where the social media and in real life, you know, experiences actually marry up very well. So today I have uh, a GP with myself, a doctor, I will give his name, I'll let him introduce himself in a second, but he's here to talk to me and we're going to have a discussion very nice discussion about the recent uh what's been happening in the media and the recent general sentiment of well, public sentiment towards GP. So before I carry on, I'm gonna jump straight into it. I'll let him introduce himself, Doctor.
1: Hi Faroq. Um so my name is uh, Dr. Silva Silan or, or Silva, uh, that's why everyone calls me, um including a lot of my patients. Um I am a GP trainer and partner. In East London, in Tower uh, as I've been there for about eight years uh, at, at my current place.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Um, it's it's great to have you on the on the podcast, to be honest, because I know you've been very uh, on Twitter, particularly, you've been very vocal about the both the problems that are you know plaguing the healthcare system, well NHS, and particularly GPs and primary care, but also even people, you've been providing solutions as well. And, you know, been really highlighting it and trying to combat the, the noise. So we're going to dive straight into it. So what I think a lot of people are very curious about so recently, I don't know if some people may be listening or may look yeah. online or the places like the Daily Mail, they have gone on an, they, they went on an attack campaign talking about how GPs are causing people to you know not see, they don't want to see patients, they're letting people die. They're all sorts of, you know, to, to most healthcare professionals egregious claims that, that mm. seem just purely clickbaity. Uh, and you obviously have you know tried to combat this and Fight against this notion. What are your thoughts? And why? Let's start with a nice open-ended question. Why do you think this is happening? Uh, this is happening. Why, why do I
1: think there's a suddenly an attack on uh, on GP specifically? Um, and 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 so I, th- I think I think it's a uh, it's a very interesting question, Virukka. It's it's, a, it's a quite a complex one to answer. Um, so um, we've had about so we've had about ten to eleven years of underfunding in the NHS. So NHS. Um, in terms of it's demand because of austerity hasn't been funded to the level it should have been. So that's that's a fact and, and, and it's it's been accepted. And what that meant is this problem has been building up for a while. And then uh, so so all these shortages and 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 the demands on the service on anything new, what's really exposed to it is is COVID. Um, so COVID has skyrocketed demand in in primary care and across all the other sectors of the NHS. So it's really exposed to shortages. So patients are feeling it, and some would say the press is reflecting that. But it's also fair to say that there's some of the press are also fanning the issue as well to to make to make it a very simplistic solution to say face to face, see them face to face, and everything's going to be all right. And we know that's not going to solve it because they're about, we're about 8,000 GPs short. And initially, Jeremy Hunt had a target of finding 5,000 GPs by 2020, and we're nowhere near that. Um, and then the, uh, uh, Boris Johnson set a new target of 6,000 new GPs by 2024 and 26,000 support staff. So that's other clinicians into primary care. We're about 10,000 into those 26,000, uh, but we, we're no, nowhere near the target. So GPs, we actually got a net loss of about 1,000 GPs, depending on whichever, so some say 1,300 GPs, some say about 900. So on average, about just just about 1,000 GPs less than we had in 2015. So I think this created a perfect storm. Um, yeah. So press always, when I say press, I'm, 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 I'm very mindful. There are lots of... Um, um, media and journalists out there who actually portray the right news yeah, um true. there are some specific ones i'm going to name names daily mail is one particular one who has been leading a campaign uh so it's not fair to say all press so daily mail has been leading this and it's it's been portrayed as face-to-face is going to sort the problem out but it's not um, um and and also if you look at what's happening in in gp at the moment previously before 2019, it can take about two to three weeks to see a GP face-to-face. Now, 41 in July, 41% of the appointments were done on the same day. Yeah. So that is an amazing progress. And, and uh, I, I'm actually working much more efficiently now, given this triage system we're doing. So what we do at the moment is patients will either send us an online consultation or they will call us with their problem. And we'll look at that. And then we'll then become an appointment accordingly now how that appointment turns out to be could be face to face could be telephone could be video or text um so and a lot of patients love it because they mean that means they don't have to actually come into the GP, take time out and and sit in a waiting room with other people who might be ill themselves yeah. um so and it offers convenience
0: um but it's not right for all of them yeah that is that's the truth uh, you yeah, know even though i i think the last one you mentioned now the 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 tri the triage system which I so I work in MSK and I have a very similar system where all you know patients they get triaged a bit and then most of all new patients get seen telephone first that's their first assessment you know and then from there we determine do, how do we manage the patient you use your clinical judgment you say okay this yeah. person probably needs a face to face we can bring you in when you have availability you can be managed by telephone. That's one option you can manage by video. And for me as a clinician, I think that is such an effective system. And if I take it to me as a patient, recently I've, I've been a patient and this is why why I've always, you know, gone confused. So I had to talk to my GP. I went online, booked a slot. And obviously every di- different GP yeah. practices run differently. Some you have to call, some don't have that online system, which I think is a very good system to have. You pop, pop, book a slot, 10-minute slot, give a brief description of why you're calling they give you a call. And I was able to get, I mean, I booked, I was able to get a telephone call within I think two, three days. I think one slot was even the, later in the day, I was able to get a nice 10 minutes slot. Told them my, what I had for the problem, what I needed. And I was able to be solved over the phone. I didn't need to drag myself into the clinic. For example, a lot of people have work, for example, you know, you don't want to have to take yeah. a whole day out of work to go in. But if you need to, the option is there. And I think you mentioned that, this, uh, you know, this is very true that a lot of people are feeling this way. That some people feel like, oh, they really want that face to face. But at the end of the day, you need to realize these issues were not are not new issues per se, as you mentioned. <laughs> it's not as though just this year that you know it, it would take a while to see a GP. MSK clinics at the moment, physio clinics. My colleagues yeah. have their calendars booked so fully <laughs> that their follow up slot may be four, six weeks down the line. And it's not their fault it's not anyone's fault it's, but it's capacity issue. it's not. It's an issue that's been there before now it's just been aggravated even more uh, it's been absolutely. exposed as you mentioned uh, by the whole COVID pandemic and particularly for gps mm. i imagine when i looked at you got how many patients you people see in a day? i'm like wow that's a lot 10 10 minutes per per assessment slot to do a lot in 10 you have to do a lot in 10 minutes for the next person absolutely absolutely and i don't know how you guys do this because i think it's I, I, in MSK, we think 30 minutes might be too small of a time already, uh, but obviously we're doing so yeah. different things per se, but 10 minutes to do quite a bit of things and then back to back to back to back to back and you keep going. So it's it's always been there and telehealth is something, I, we'll talk about this probably a little bit later down the line, but the whole exacerbation, many people feel as though you know they, they can't see the GPS, really it's true. But as you mentioned, it's not something that is brand new. You know these long waiting lists. The fact that when you call, it's just a bit longer now. But why do you think people, uh, you know, the general population? Some people love it, as you mentioned. So my patients, you know, they're happy getting managed over the phone, video. Send them the exercise. Send them what they do. Check up on them and see how they go. But why do you think there's still a subsect of individuals who? want that who who feel like that they need that face-to-face do you think it's a legacy thing tradition thing where that's how they, they've known it and i find it a bit more of the older, some older patients what do you think on that i, I just don't think they I, I i
1: i totally understand that concern to be honest i'll be i'll be completely honest with you i totally understand that concern so um it's um because one of the cornerstones of gp is something called continuity of care so knowing the doctor you've known for a long time so yeah. them seeing you on a regular basis actually has so much therapeutic value. So I've got lots of patients who just call me and say, look, Dr. Selva, can I just come and see you? And I let them come and see me. I'm not going to even touch them on a clinical examination, but a lot of the time it's just to discuss about their struggles, depression, mental health issues. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's they just want to see someone face-to-face, and I'm more than happy to accommodate that. Um, the the problem is we're quite blessed in my surgery that we're have, we have well-resourced. And we're open eight to eight seven days a week but that's not the case in every surgery. Um, I actually tweeted yesterday today about uh, kind of the the, the the way GP funding works is quite a complex formula but it it, it it stacks up against deprived inner city practices so deprived inner city practices get less price per patient compared to a GP practice in an affluent area. And what this ends up meaning is is it's not only harder to recruit a GP for inner city areas. But the, per GP, they have about 10% more workload. So, so at my yeah. uh, so, so that that's that it's a formula. And I don't know if you know how much GPs get paid uh, per patient. Um, a lot of people get surprised when I tell them. So you have a base price of about sort of 95 quid a year. Uh, and then that's 95 pounds per annum per patient per year. That's the base price. And then if you address some of their blood pressure as well, their blood sugar levels and the asthma control. So if you control the, um, the chronic diseases and with the flu vaccination and everything else, that kind of pushes it up to about 140 to 150 pounds for a, per patient per annum. So that's, that's less than, that's about, you know, about a price of a coffee a week. That's how much GPs get paid to manage. The population that we have uh, so it's, it's not a it's, it's not a great amount of money it's it's um i'll, I'll also tell you an interesting fact as well i've yeah, done no, surgeries no. pre-pandemic yeah where I've t- i haven't touched a stethoscope and i haven't examined a patient probably for about five six hours so because we, what we do is not the same as what the hospital doctors do hospital doctors see very ill patients so you, yeah. you're in hospital because you're ill you don't always exactly. go to the GP because you're ill. You go to the GP because you want to check up for your diabetes. You go you want to check up for your blood pressure, or you want to talk about your mental health, or you're worried about your kid. Um, of course, well, you know we we see lots of coughs and colds, acute illnesses, and things yeah, like that. Naturally. But that's that's not that's probably about a third of my work. Hmm. Two thirds is is a, is a lot of that. So dealing with so what patients see is that acute stuff. that we definitely see the patients but for the rest of it there are many patients who are just happy for us to just deal with it in the most convenient way possible Uh, and um, another point you mentioned is about the workload pressure so we have 10 minute appointments that's been the traditional way of working so the 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 european kind of recommendations say we should be seeing about maximum 25 patients per day um so And a lot of us, if you do a full day, we're, we're looking at about 60 patients. That's how much a British GP would get through if you're, they're doing a full day. So yeah, they are seeing double that. So, it's, it's, uh, at, so the workload at the moment is unsustainable um, and there aren't enough of us. I think those are the kind of two big issues that yeah. um, we need to highlight. But I think all of us should be open and say, look, patients aren't getting the best deal and we need to be thinking about how to give them the best deal. And unfortunately, when the resources are constrained, triage is probably the best way to go. So you can decide who needs the treatment the the fastest and and the earliest. Um, So, and as you mentioned, I'm well used to kind of uh, my physio colleagues triaging in in secondary care uh, and it works well.
0: Yeah, I mean, exact exactly as you mentioned, and, you, and we're going to get into the additional roles in this in, in the second segment, But two things you, that I think is almost has become almost an echo chamber, but it's an echo chamber which needs to be mentioned a lot is. That the reason that I would say the reason you're not able to see your GP, your physio, as soon as you want is not because they don't want to see you. <laughs> I think that's Absolutely. sometimes the notion Absolutely. that people, you know, take. And I understand, I completely I understand it. You know, if you don't understand the inner workings of how healthcare mm. works to start the NHS as a whole, then to understand how your trust works as a whole, then mm. GP practices run slightly different uh, systems these are all complex things that, you know, general public, or someone who is, if I was not in healthcare, I would probably not know this, or if you didn't do active research in it, it's not a case that I don't want to see you, or I'm just hiding behind my desk. I don't have chosen to only do telephone calls. If you know how many times I often get, um, when I have a telephone assessment and the first thing, and then the first minutes, a patient says, I don't see how physio can help with uh, be over the phone. I don't understand this. And they already have a negative mindset saying, you know, you can't do be over the phone. And that's, it, it, it's something you already. I already know. I have to overcome by showing you. You know, it's not. We're not doing. We, we don't have to do it all via phone. There are options. We can do a video. We can do a face. You can bring you in. We're doing the initial via telephone because just to, for efficiency purposes. Because if we brought everyone into the clinic, we would be wasting some people's times. Mine, because we you'd come yeah. in and I would talk to you, or I would grab your subjective history, which I could have done over the phone and use the thirty minutes that you have when I see you face to face. For purely the objective, as opposed to asking you all the questions that I could probably ask you over the phone about your social history, what's your background, what's yeah. what you do, yeah. and I think that's the that's the that's the thing I I really did not like. And I'll be honest, I have a soft spot for doctors, and for those who know, my my dad's a doctor uh, in Nigeria. My sister recently became a doctor last year, and so when I yeah. see a lot of the negativity, and I'm just wondering, I'm like, I don't think I've met many you know doctors who who don't want to see their patients and say, my dad is he's a very interesting man. We've been trying to get him to cut his hours down. He loves his job and he sees his patient, obviously it's a different country, yeah. but a lot of doctors, a lot of people yeah. come in to help is because they genuinely enjoy helping people. There are moments that I'm sure you'll, you'll still get them when you see a patient and you yeah. really know you made an impact in that patient's life and you really helped them. Yeah. And it, it makes you just start to think, oh, this is one of the reasons. Sometimes you think you know, you're know you under a lot of pressure, but. It's. I think that's the notion that. But as you mentioned, places like the Daily Mail will spin a narrative saying the GP don't want to see you, or they'll put a very catchy headline saying this person died because their GP refused to see them. And I think these type of narratives are very dangerous and creates, as you mentioned, fanning that flame of, of you know, issues that were already here before. But it's just to mm. get catchy headlines, and that's what people sometimes uh, uh, realize. Absolutely. Um... Still, I, I think what's really, really lacking
1: is a mature debate about how we fund healthcare in this yes. country. So, yes. so, 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 so we, we're, we're not being honest with patients. Um, we, we're not, we're not telling them how much. Is, so, what we get is a headline figure of NHS being fund, funded to the tune of 150 billion, 170 billion, yeah. and you know Number. 200 billion. All kinds of billions get thrown out. But <laughs> we're not, we're not we're not looking at okay, how does that compare to somebody like Germany, somebody like France, comparable economies and and what's the experience of patients there patient experience uh, often isn't always taken as the 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 gold standard and what that means is stories like my gp didn't see me face to face gets highlighted uh, and and what we don't do is we don't we don't fund healthcare to economies that are similar size so USA spends about twice as much as us uh, for, for much poorer outcomes in certain areas, and yes, France and and um, um, France and Scandinavian countries and Germany spend a bit more than us, uh, and they get they get better outcomes. So, so during Tony Blair Tony Blair years in the early 2000s, we we were matching European levels, and we were really getting really good outcomes. I remember I was a I was just qualifying at that time, and at that time waiting times were completely down. The morale within the profession was really high uh so th- things were actually starting to look up and then the austerity hit and the things have gone a bit downhill just it just really really kind of um resonated what you said about your dad uh so I, I've been a, I've been a doctor for 17 years. I've been a GP for 12 of that. And I still love my job. Any, I was just talking to an FY2 doctor yesterday and telling him, look, if you, if you he's thinking about going to general practice, he said he was worried about all these negative headlines. I said, yeah. don't worry about these things. They, these things come in cycles. Um, it's still a really great career, go for it. And I, I'm still loving it. It gives you so much variety, that contact with the patients. And there's, um my colleagues, I lost count how many times they said, we didn't get into this for call center medicine. So none of us are doing this because we like working in a call center. We, yeah. we got into this because we like seeing people, we like talking to human beings and we like helping them, um, whether it's a, as a doctor or a physio, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what our profession is. We got into this to actually interact with human beings and and so, so this kind of accusation of you, you kind of sitting behind a you know phone or um and and just doing call center uh, medicine is is actually uh, inaccurate, um and it's also it doesn't reflect what's actually what's happening. So, and and then I'll pick up on your first point, which is I'm like going triage. Not only do we have to do triage because the resources are constrained. I think it's a really effective way of doing it. So mm-hmm. you let the patient tell you what they want. Um and as 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 you were saying, patients don't always know what service is available. So I, I've had that conversation. I say, I'm gonna refer you to a physio, or don't refer me. All they did was, you know, they're just gonna to talk to me on the phone. I said, no, 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 what you gotta do is you actually need to tell them what your problem is and they're experts. And then they can actually decide with you what's the best cause of treatment for this. It's it's exactly the same in, in, in GP as well. So you tell us what you need. Because general practice is no longer just GPs. We've got physios, we've got pharmacists, we've got nurse practitioners. Yeah. Um, and our pharmacists are doing stuff that I used to do before. Um, so five years ago, patients might come and see for blood pressure. Now the pharmacist deals with, deals with the blood pressure. So somebody who came in five years ago and, and might be thinking Dr. Selva doesn't want to see me for my blood pressure, but that's not the case. We, we've got equally trained experts dealing with that. Yeah.
0: So, so I think this is where triage definitely comes in
1: and, 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 and really plays its part.
0: Yeah, I think as you said, that, that's you know very very well put. And again, it's not to repeat this over and over, but this uh, overall notion of you know people don't want to see it's 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 not, as you mentioned, we really didn't come into healthcare in a perfect world. You know, it, it, I always like to say this whenever I mention, in a perfect world. You know, each person would get an unlimited, very long amount of time for each consultation. You'd be able to talk about every single thing. You'd be able to break it down. But unfortunately, in a public healthcare system, which is what we are in UK, uh, it's a public Mm. healthcare system predominantly. You know, NHS is one of the things that, you know, a lot of other countries tout when, when, you know, people, as you mentioned, you mentioned something that I, I laughed about when you said America spent double the money to get poorer outcomes. If you go to America healthcare there is not great <laughs> i'll be honest no. you, it's not great you know you'll pay an arm and a leg for insurance you get injured it's, it's a very very capitalistic and then it just is a good overall thing i quite enjoy i'm from nigeria where you know health public healthcare system is basically it's very 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 you know very wishy washy i'll be honest to say the very least hmm. but you're coming over here and you see a system where you know but there are reasons why it is is so and it goes comes back to the things issues such as funding which is a very big one and one thing that I wanted to actually mention, which I think you you may have some very good experience in, where you work, because I when I'm not in Leicester, where I'm based now, I'm in East London. That's where I'm not from, but that's where my, you know I stay so most of the time when I'm not here. Hmm. Is how things are funded in any cities and the discrepancies. And that's something I've seen a little bit, because uh, I work in Leicester. Even those who know about Leicester, Leicester has different, Leicester Shire in itself has different areas. Some more affluent, some yeah. less affluent. You have the city, which is a lot more condensed, a lot more people, a lot different areas of different socioeconomic backgrounds, okay? You have some places like the Harbor area where you have more affluent, retired, elder populations. Mm. And the remarks you get from these different areas in terms of, can I see my GP1? uh what services am i offering the healthcare outcomes it's very different and i imagine that is something you know the funding of gp practices as you mentioned is also a bit of socioeconomic backgrounds and inner in cities as you mentioned why is it so specifically for gps i have an idea you know generally there are big health inequalities overall but how is yeah. it so for gp specifically in you know areas which are class poor areas obviously we know this this is not new news where poor areas have lower health care outcomes more affluent areas have richer health care so it's a, it's a tailors all this time itself mm. how is how does that work for gp practices okay that's, that's a really really
1: good question it's, it's it's a it's a bit like it's a chicken and egg thing right so so <laughs> in 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 poor, poor areas you're gonna have condensed housing um you're gonna have people so this is called social determinants of health so where where you're born where you live how much education you have your housing determines your life outcomes so if you're from poor areas uh, you may not have the same education level same level of disposable income so i I was just talking to a a mother who has seven children and they live in a two-bedroom flat um and that's a reality for many of my patients 55 percent of my patients live in social housing and Doing housing letters is, it probably keeps a lot of us busy in, 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 in inner city areas. And there are about 20,000 people waiting for social housing in in Hamlets where I work. And so what that means is people get ill at a younger age, much younger age. So I've got type two diabetics in their 30s, late 20s. Uh, I've got people in their 40s who are taking about 10 to 15 medications and they've already had a heart attack and their kidneys are on the way out. Uh, and I got so the life expectancy for a man where I work in Tarrhamles is about seventy-seven years. Um, you travel west to Chelsea, you're looking at probably closer to late eighties or even ninety. And there was a statistics out about um, people living in certain areas of Blackpool are living are dying twenty-seven years earlier compared to Chelsea and Westminster, uh, so, um, Sir Kensington period. and Chelsea. So 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 that's that's a massive discrepancy within the same country. Um, so, so, so we got these issues already. So what that means is these may be seen as less desirable places for, uh, doctors to work, because we know statistics show, um, patients in less affluent areas consult their doctors about twice as much as, um, patients in more affluent areas. That's not to say the doctors in affluent areas have it easy, because what we got to remember is, remember that level I said to you about, about 25, 30 patients a day being a safe level, Yeah, we are all doing about 60. So, so nice. even the ones in affluent areas are also busy. Um, and then that's also exacerbated by something called uh, the Car hill formula. That's the formula which determines how a GP practice is funded uh, it's because it's called Car hill C-A-R-R dash hill. So, so it's, 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 um, it's, 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 um, it's the formula that works out how to fund a GP surgery. Okay. And it's based on the age of the population, deprivation is based on the chronic diseases that places might have uh, and so on. So what the formula assumes is if you're in a suburban area, you will have older population, which is true. And then the older population will have more chronic diseases. So the more chronic diseases burden that the practice has, the more money it will attract. But it's forgetting the fact in areas of inner cities, you actually have younger people who also have high incidence of chronic diseases and also these people keep moving around as well so there's a what we call high turnover of the list size so the patients might be in one area and then they go to somewhere else because their landlords kick them out or they're, they're being moved to a different area so the rapid turnover of patients so what that means is um, the work in inner cities can be very challenging But again, I stress it's not. It's not because it's 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 less challenging in other areas. It's just it's a bit more challenging. And and um, it's interesting and kind of talking about numbers. So in terms of funding, so NHS is publicly funded and and it's not it's not funded enough. We could argue about you know some people will say yes, it's funded enough. What you do with that money? Uh, But regardless, um, I've I've got a a colleague who's a private GP, and. he reluctantly does private GP work and not because he wants to, it's because it's a way of him actually continuing his NHS GP work. Because he, he works four days a week as an NHS GP and he finds that workload so unsustainable, he's having to do one day in, in private. In private, he sees 18 patients a day, half an hour appointments. Um, and he gets his coffee made and he has a nice <laughs> consulting room and and then he, he comes comes to nhs the next day and he sees about 60 patients or deals with about 60 patients so he can see because uh, so but that's not affordable for everybody yeah. so that's one of the great constructs about nhs you know we don't have to worry about how big your wallet is how much insurance you have um, health insurance you have when you walk into an AE or a gp practice we'll, we'll see you regardless and you get world class treatment regardless it's not perfect, but I, I, I think it's probably one of the best health systems out there when you compare it to the, the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it it, it most it likely is, to be honest, most definitely is. Again, it's not a perfect system. And it's a good thing you mentioned something interesting, which you'll probably talk on a bit, which is that um, private side of it. But again, the reason I brought it up and for so people who are listening is when you're coming back to our original overarching messages, why your GPs can't see you or why, you know, your physios or anybody can't see you. You think of it, it's not just, it's not a, it's not a simple solution. It's not one thing equals this. It's fairly complex. Even just having, after you've just explained that briefly to me, I can already see how, how we can, how much compl- the complexities behind it. And I've come and I know the complexity sides of it to an extent of, you know, physiotherapy in itself, how it's funded some areas of, you know, I used to work in, Neuro uh, neurodivision, which was slightly bit fun, differently funded than the other departments. I know how the intric- intricacies of that works. And you know, they it's above my pay and I'm only a point the citizen, but I'm sure people at higher management levels have to then work out because mm. in a theoretical world, you know, a lot of times you see the simple solution of uh, we're underfunded, give more money, hire more staff, uh what's it called, Pour more money. That would work, I can see, you know, if you you know, perfect world, you would get more, a lot of more staff. And you mentioned DPs are underfunded, physios are underfunded. Almost a lot of it. We can almost say a lot of areas in healthcare are underfunded. The easiest solution is give give more money to them. And I, you mentioned something before, which was they throw a lot of the words. Uh, oh, Oh, six point nine billion given to the NHS. When you put it in, when you put it in layman's terms, that seems like a lot of money. You know, you're giving six point nine billion. Mm, absolutely. But when you think, of when you, I'm sure people who are in managerial levels, you probably know this, that money can go very quickly, <laughs> very, very yeah. quickly to, to just, you know, in a, in a year it can be gone. Because when you think how big the country is, how many people, we it's just basically a public free, uh, what's it called, healthcare system. So even though it sounds like a lot, which is what I think dissuades certain people thinking, oh, well, they're giving more money to the NHS, why, it's, why am I still not trickling down? Because you probably think it's not enough. And you know we'll probably touch into to private in a second yeah. now but that's the overarching image of it uh to so you might about about say something absolutely I, I
1: think um it's um is that okay Can yeah yeah so i've yeah. so so uh, you got to be you got to be aware of you know you got you got to be very cautious with anyone who's coming up with simple solutions you know three word slogan simple solutions uh, we've seen that happen yeah. um, it's very popular it's very catchy but it's it's never the you know the right answer especially when you're looking at complex systems and and um i'm going i want to kind of tell you t- two points about this funding issue one is so the government uh, with all fanfare were announced that they're going to give 250 million pounds to gp practices to increase face to face appointments um, and, uh, and then they're going to benchmark the practices locally. And the practices that are at the bottom 20% um, are going to have uh, you know, sanctions against them. They haven't specified what they're going to be. So that's, that's a very interesting thing. So 250 million pounds sounds like a lot of money. But when you think about how many GP practices there are, there are about between seven and 8,000 GP practices in the UK. So when you split 250 million by about 7,000, say, it works out about 30 to 40K per practice. And if I was to get a, and the plan is to get additional locum GPs to help with the workload. If I was to get a locum GP, if it's from an agency, that can cost anything up to a thousand pounds. If it is direct, maybe about 700 quid. So you divide that 30K into say thousand pounds, that's going to last, it's not going to last very long, it's going to maybe last for about about six weeks. And this is supposed to be a winter rescue fund for three months of winter. So the money isn't enough. And... How much money does primary care get overall? Uh, so GP when I say primary care GP practices, the budget is about 12 billion a year. Mm-hmm. So it's about eight, eight percent, eight to nine percent of the NHS budget, about nine percent. And just to put it in context, entire prescribing budget for the NHS, so that all the drugs and everything else yeah. is about 12 billion. Mm-hmm. All right. It's about- so it's all the medicines and everything else. And general practice deals with about a million patients a day. Um about 80 to 90 percent of NHS contact. Um now. The, the other thing I was going to say is, I'm going to say, flip that as well and say, funding is not always an answer to a problem. I'll explain that because okay. just that's throwing good. more money at the problem isn't always the answer. So if you look at test and trace, we spent 37 billion pounds. That's
0: a very good right? point.
1: Yeah. That's an amazing, you know, uh, that's about three times the money you spend on per year on a GP uh, GP entire budget for primary care. Well, where's that money gone? It's gone to lots of private contractors. Um, we're still kind of counting the the numbers of is that being spent efficiently. National audit officers is looking at it, and 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 uh, we we know that it doesn't function. It's being heavily criticised. It's been it doesn't function yeah. the way yeah. it should be. Yeah. And we spent thirty seven billion. So you could, if I was a government minister, I would be standing and saying I gave thirty seven billion pounds to NHS test and trace, and that also counts towards the NHS budget uh so additional spend so just throwing money itself isn't always the answer it's about how is that money spent if you're yeah, going to give if, if, if you're going to give additional 6.9 billion or 5.9 billion whatever it is that you're going to give to the nhs it's, it's always important that it goes to the right place um otherwise uh so there are inefficiencies within the NHS we need to address um i often talk about this in my tweets um why we still got bleeps uh why we still got fax machines? And you know why are we still writing by hand? Um, it's it's uh, why can't we computerize everything? Locally, we've done that. So what that means is I can look at the hospital records. So today we had a very complex patient um, who's seen by the mental health services. Two years ago, I would have actually had to call the mental health services and find out what exactly they did, they did with the patient. Now, yeah. log on to the computer, click a button, all the history is there. They've seen the patient what they've done what medication they've given them i can see what hospital appointments that patient has and they can also see my system so um that's money well spent integration yeah
0: definitely that, was, so, that, that one is that one is very that, that point is absolutely very important so i've had so as a student i've had different placements at different hospitals uh working up you in know, one hospital this hospital i work at now the trust and the lpt have a very good online system where you can see a lot. You don't have to start making, as you mentioned, that's, these, those, those things, you people might think, oh, was just a little, you know how long you can spend on trying to call a certain service, <laughs> waiting yeah. as a clinician, just trying to get one piece of information uh, about it. But when everyone is almost a centralized database where you can just see different things very quickly, you can see some letters, you can see what the GP said, you can see what the physio said, what the uh, OT said very very effectively some places are not yet up to speed on that so even if given them more money then they're not obviously these are investments as you say you're gonna to have to put money down now but the effects will be long term and I don't know the science. I don't know. Absolutely, so kind of invest is safe. safe. Absolutely, invest. Exactly. You see, you see, you see the, you see the yeah. rewards over 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 time. But it is a very effective system. Even me just using from paper notes to online notes. I as an an MSK now, I can see the notes of the community physio. They can see what I'm doing. I don't need to start to only say, okay, the patient says, oh, I've been seen by this person. What do you do? And then oh, I'm not really sure. I can't remember. It's not really going to help. Or they say I saw my. This happens a lot, even in as I mean never ask patients now. Say I exactly. saw my GP. What did your GP do? I just have to if they're using the same system. Yeah. Quickly see the notes. It makes a life a lot easier. Saves time. Time wasting. But these are the things as you mentioned. You can't you just throw more money. In, but it's the allocation of resources and the management of that money that is being spent, which is unfortunately an issue that you know you might not hear you mentioned catchy you see this a lot on twitter and everywhere catchy three word do this 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 how to solve the problem one two three <laughs> very absolutely. very easy absolutely
1: solution. Absolutely. It's catchy. It's catchy. Very catchy yeah absolutely I mean, it's, it's it's um so i i think we definitely need to look at efficiency so um one of the examples I could give you is, so my so mom's got an appointment at University College Hospital. They've got this patient portal that um, mom's given me permission to access. So I can actually access it and have a look at what appointment she has, when and where it is. Um, so um, don't need to worry about um, calling them to find out when the appointment is. You don't need to worry about, and if you want to cancel it, you can just go and cancel it, change it to a different date. So just giving patients access to the records, giving patients the, you know, knowing telling them where they are in the system um, can actually help a lot, because s- some of the workload increase I'm getting at the moment, because there's about six to seven million patients waiting for an appointment um, for surgeries and outpatient clinics and so on within in, in the whole of UK. And that's causing it because of that massive backlog, a lot of patients are now calling the GPs and asking, can I be expedited? I'm still in pain with my hip. Can you give me stronger medication? Or um, I, I need to, can you push this appointment through because this is, is happening so fast? Uh, my condition is progressing so fast. So that's adding on top of the work. And if we have an effective communication system, which we say, where the patient is told, yep, we got your referral. Unfortunately, this is how it's going to take. You can log on to the patient portal and see how many patients are waiting in front of you, or these are your results, and this is what we want to do with you. It could revolutionize the, the thing. There are pockets of excellence throughout the NHS who are already yeah. doing that.
0: that, that that's that, that's very key. There are places doing that. The idea, the overall idea you know, is, can we replicate? Can we take what goods from different places? Because some places are doing some, some things better than others. How do you replicate that to an overall system? And the realistic thing is that these things take time. Time is, the, time is your friend and your enemy. I always say both as a clinician. And uh, from a managerial standpoint, Absolutely. I imagine where time can help, you know, time is always on your side, but you have to be patient uh, with it. Uh, one thing, as the last, I think the last talking part for this part of it is, and I wanted to get your thoughts on because I think it's very interesting. You mentioned a private uh, system. Now, I don't know uh, where the privatization, because yeah. I'm, from, I'm from Nigeria, so I came here. Uh, for those who know, I, I'm, an, I'm an immigrant. Technically, uh, I'm on a working visa, and I work here. And all that, I, throughout the idea of Brexit, things like that, when Brexit was happening, when. Uh, people say we're well, working we with privatizing the NHS, I mean, I think it's fairly asserted to say a lot of the promises made back then during that time, we're not, we're very, well lies basically, we're misleading at the very least, and misinformed because we've not seen some of the things that people said, they were, they were campaigning. I'm voting it because I'm not a citizen, but I'm a, I'm a casual bystander in all of this, and the idea of privatization, how, what are the pros, Can imagine a bit of pro in the corner what are the two sides of it because i imagine you know there's still private services and you know i imagine still private contractors you have Nuffield health you have spy health you have different a lot of different private hospitals that are still standing now they must be doing something um what was the argument or what is benefit that people would want an all-around privatized system and i I know the, the, the other side to it potentially is People think you know you're going to start paying for healthcare. Uh, you're going to pay a lot for healthcare. Things like that. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure because I was a casual bystander. This was a of topic, to be honest, <laughs> but a big one. What are your thoughts? Can you...
1: Absolutely, uh, you 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 uh, you're asking a very broad question, Absolutely, this is um uh it's it's a really really deep question. I'll, I'll um I'll share some of my thoughts with you. So, I, th- I think what's important to Clarify is is um so people often when people often talk about privatization of the NHS, it's not necessarily you're going to pay out of your own pocket when you use an NHS service. What 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 actually is happening is you you're privatizing how you pay for healthcare. I'll expand right. on that. It's 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 basically so what I used to offer in a GP practice has been rationed over the years. So we no longer provide ear syringing. So in hospitals we want to do varicose vein surgery, for example, so even though the, 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 the patient might be in a lot of pain with their legs, um, there are some hurdles they need to jump through. They need to lose weight. They need to have tried certain conservative management for at least six months. And even then there's a long waiting list. Um, We don't remove tonsils anymore, but that's good evidence for not removing tonsils. So um, but we used to do that before. So there, there are lots of things uh, or, Physio sessions might only be six sessions. Um, so you might not get any further sessions, even though the patient might need it, they might need a second referral. Um, or the way service is funded, um, they get a limited number of sessions. Same with psychological services. So primary care psychology, they will offer six to 20 sessions. And beyond that, the patients, even if the patient has problem, they have to be sent back to the GP. So what that's doing is because we are providing reducing this, the services that we're providing in the NHS to rationing to some extent. The means patients are going more to, towards the private sector. The, the The second thing is the longer waiting list. So I've got patients who've gone and paid for the hip surgeries uh, or the knee surgery because the waiting time on the NHS is such a long yeah, time. So so, so it's, it's how we pay for healthcare is being privatised, not necessarily NHS being privatised. Now, NHS is an interesting concept. So you've got hospital trusts which are part of the NHS and then you've got GPs. GPs aren't technically private businesses, they are independent contractors <laughs> who are exclusively contracted to provide primary care services to the NHS. So we're not we're not private businesses in the true sense of the word. So I can't take my services elsewhere to provide some uh, private work for a patient registered with us. Okay. I'm part of the NHS pension, part of the NHS regulations. Um, um but when we are actually we have a business contract with the with NHS England, um, and what the NHS does is, if you look at um, catering services, that's that's provided by larger companies. Yeah. If you look at pension services, that's provided by um, a company called Capita. If you look at, you know, supplies, that could be a private company. So there there are private providers um, who who are true private providers who do lots of other things providing NHS services um, and then to help with the, the workload within the NHS, the hospital has also used Spire, Nuffield and Bupa hospitals to help uh, supply additional beds and additional um, you know surgical spaces and things like that. So now is, is that necessarily a bad thing um, so, if patients are getting seen, the problem with that is they tend to cherry pick patients, so the, the private hospitals will cherry pick patients, and they will pick young healthy people who have simple conditions, so what that means is the NHS hospital will be dealt with dealing with more complex patients, so for the same level of funding. So that's that's that kind of stacks things up against right. the NHS hospitals and increases the pressure. So that means their waiting times go higher, and the league on the league tables they might not look as impressive as compared to a private um, hospital which is dealing with simpler things. So, it's I'm I'm not against and and you know, I you know we look at cars. Some of us have nice cars, some of us have uh, not so nice cars, or don't even have cars. But as yeah. long as we provide a basic means for somebody to get to from basic A to B, level. a good good public transport system. Um, and then you can, on top of that, if you want to travel in style and you've got the money to buy a Rolls Royce, then you do that. That's your, it's your choice. But what we need to do as a country, eh, as a rich country, is make sure that we got the basic and, and a good infrastructure to provide safe and effective and, 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 and care for our population. And probably the best way of delivering that is going to be the NHS, because, you know, we pay about Three to four thousand pounds per pay per taxpayer to fund the NHS. That's the the last time I looked at that. So that's actually not a bad deal. So you're looking at about three hundred quid a month uh, okay. for a taxpayer to provide comprehensive care. That's GP, hospital surgeries, any services, ambulances, everything. Um, if you if you pay out of your own pocket, some people might some, some might pay a lot 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 more, and there are people yeah. who might not be insured. Um, yeah. Now, having said that, if you look at countries like Australia, France, and Germany, they've got a hybrid system where you have
0: yes, publicly
1: funded is. systems for uh, patients who are of low income, who kind of, or who, who are not working, who are unemployed or disabled, and so on. And then the employers do a bit of top up or the the person buys private insurance. So there's a hybrid system. Yeah. They work well too, but as as long as but we've we've gone with the NHS for the last seventy years, and we know it works for us here. So why change it to a different, completely different system that's going to be a lot more expensive when we could actually strengthen what we got here? Uh, so that would be my kind of case against privatisation. If you were if you were starting out from scratch, we might choose differently. But we we chose after the war to have the NHS. We chose to have a system where everybody pays their taxes, and out of that taxes you fund healthcare, mm-hmm. and it's, it's been working fairly well for the last 70 years yes things are changing people are living longer the medicines are more complex and so on yeah but you're gonna to have to pay for healthcare either out of your own pocket directly or via tax that's a fact It's one of the two. so as a nation we need to
0: have a mature discussion about how we're going to fund it yeah it is very interesting i think i've just learned a few things now because normally we'll wrap it up then for this one but what I've learned what I've learned now already is because the first thing because I, I was exposed to American culture. My, my family used to go to travel to America, I have family there, yeah. cousins and so forth. When I look at the American system, that's the first thing I think when someone says private. And I know how <laughs> to to those who are not earning enough, how yeah, how damning it can be for someone, you know. How they can, you know, for example, I'll take a very, very base, oversimplified version of how American, you know, public health care system works. It's not very public, it's all very insurance based. Your insurance premium will be set at a certain rate. If you use Mm -hmm. that insurance, for example, okay, you need this, and your your insurance covers certain things. If you use it and it doesn't cover everything, you have to pay out of pocket. And that's how a lot of people go into debt in America. Medical debt is a very big thing in America. I don't know, can you Yeah. That's You can right. go into debt for that. And then, okay, you've used your money, your insurance. Now your premium has gone up. So you're not paying more <laughs> for the same cover because you've used it. Absolutely. It's like, it's like car insurance almost in a sense. It's not so, garbage, it's, absolutely. I was going to say, yeah. it was basically a current car insurance boy for your body. I don't think you want to be comparing yourself with a car <laughs> and paying to use it, it goes up. You, there are multiple no. factors. It's not. It's very, very complex. And so, to the, to the end of the day, it really doesn't cover it's a lot of people's basic needs. And I don't yeah. think many people want I mean, it yet.
1: Absolutely. I, my, my kind of big worry for with this, the whole privatization conversation is so there are really good hybrid models. There. Public hybrid, uh, public-private models, models around the world, like, um, like Australia, France, Germany, and some of the Scandinavian systems as well. But if you look at whatever we do in this country, we tend to reject European models, and we tend to embrace <laughs> more American models. Uh, so that's that. You know, that's historically that's that's just been the way it is. So, um, even. If you look at what's happening to the NHS, I don't know if you know, there's a wholesale big reorganisation of the NHS going on at the moment. It's called the Integrated Care Systems. So they're getting rid of these things called CCGs, which were local bodies that were tasked with commissioning health care for each, each small area. And then our CCGs are merging and providing health becoming ICS's Integrated Care Systems, providing healthcare for about anywhere between sort of one and a half to two and a half million patients. Um, uh, so there are about 44 in ICSs in, in England. Um, so now we've gone from small is good to now large is better. Uh, because and, and the name is being driven because of the desire to do integration, integrate community services, secondary care services, and primary care services more. But the problem is they are been modeled after HMOs, healthcare management organizations in America. Um, like Kaiser Permanente um, and, and United Health and, and so on. So they they um so they're looking at models of a privatized system which within which there are some pockets of excellence, rather than thinking we've got a really good publicly funded health service in the UK. How do we make it better using models elsewhere? Uh, or how do we make it better using our own examples? Because this is quite a unique setup in this country that we have. So that's my worry. So we, my worry is that we're moving towards an American style of healthcare without looking at really good examples elsewhere in the world. Mm.
0: Ultimately, it's uh, these are these are very big, big decisions to make, and I like the idea of hybrid system. I did come across that a while ago when I was looking at uh, how physios how the physio system works in France, and I came across that. I was like, that's an interesting system. It's not. It seems to, obviously. I'm sure it has its flaws. Every system that's the reality of a no system. or Less. Everything has its flaws. It's just how many flaws can you live with, and which ones can you uh, are more detrimental. But I think it's given a very good, interesting. Uh, Insights and about the education, and how it actually works, uh, and what some of these key issues are. I know these. Uh, I know mm. for those who are listening, make sure to stay tuned. There's gonna the second part. We're gonna have a little chat about some of the solutions, some of the potential solutions, and what we can do to make. I know we've probably covered a few now already, but we're gonna give some a bit more specific ones as to what systems can we that are already being in place now. Can we do more on? to fix what we have now in the interim and long-term as well. So, I mean, before we uh, wrap that up, do you have anything to add, uh, Doctor, before uh, we wrap up to the next segment of the podcast for this segment? No, I think we've we pretty
1: much covered it. I would say, I, I, one thing I would kind of fundamentally would say is we have a really good health system in this country, the NHS. Yes, it's not perfect, um, but what we need to be looking at, it, looking at refining it and making it work for everyone, rather than try to replace it with something um, that, might, that might only work for a few people, not everyone. So we, we, we'll, we'll miss it if, when it's gone. Um, so that's my biggest worry at the moment.
0: Uh, brilliant. And I end well, with this quote, one of my favorite quotes, that sometimes the devil you know is better than the one you don't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed the podcast episode. But also make sure to subscribe to the Brooks Health Podcast on YouTube as well as the podcast so you don't miss another episode. But also follow us on social media at Rooks Health. Till the next video on the Rooks Health Podcast.